Hello, welcome to another episode of These Little Moments Podcast. I'm your host, your online health and wellness coach, Ryan Kassam. And in this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Amanda Thieb. Amanda is a fitness and women's health expert with nearly 30 years of experience in the fitness industry. She is the author of the Amazon best-selling book, Menopocalypse, How I Learned to Thrive During Menopause and How You Can Too. As Canada's first menopause workplace educator, Amanda provides on-site or virtual educational presentations in the workplace to improve productivity, retention, and attendance for female employees through menopause. Amanda is a popular guest on podcasts, radio, TV, and online summits, and her health and fitness tips have been featured in media outlets like Oprah, Shape Prevention, Healthline, CBC Radio, Global News Canada, The Doctors, and many more. She is a Canadian. She's from Toronto, Ontario. And uh, her and I dive into a really amazing podcast episode. We have a lot of laughs. We talk about cottage cheese. We obviously talk about perimenopause, menopause, symptoms, treatments from hormone therapy to lifestyle treatments her own journey with menopause and also we get into uh, a lot of a lot of crazy stories her own her own story on swimming and all all the we have a a really good time you'll hear a lot of laughter and then at the end I ask Amanda what her little moment in life what changed her life and it actually made me very teary in her as well so I really hope you enjoy this episode and I'll see you in there Oh, Zegas, usually I like to shoot the shit before we even get started, and some of the best shit is shot before people even hit the record button. But yeah, the <laughs> what you're just saying is you found me because of the uh, the old cottage cheese, uh, the old cottage cheese recipes, right? Make make cottage cheese great again. That's I don't, why, <laughs> I don't know why you don't have a hat with that on. <laughs> I I have the shirts coming, man. I get it. It's coming. <laughs> it's all in the process. Yeah, I know. But you're, but you've been a cottage cheese connoisseur because you're the one that told me to put it in my eggs. Right. So I am the. I'm one of those people with a cottage cheese gag reflex. I mean, it <laughs> literally makes me. I remember back in the day in the '90s when I was like a hardcore dieter. That Marks and Spencer's yeah. in the UK, you could get flavored cottage cheese like chive and salmon and all of these different flavors. And I remember yeah. spooning it down my mouth and. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> like I just thought, I could, and it's literally texture and not taste. It's yeah. a texture thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's like, why do you have to make it look like regurgitated sick vomit? <laughs> it's not does. And um, and then I was like, everyone eats it and everyone likes it. And then someone hosted in one of the Jordan Sides group. Yeah. You gotta go follow Ryan because he does this <laughs> thing where it says make cut well, how not to make cottage cheese shitty or something. Too yeah. shitty. Oh yeah. And so I watched a few and I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a go. But I found yeah. by this time being adding cottage cheese to my like omelets yeah, and with loads of mushrooms and onions in, and it just tastes really good. So yeah. Okay. All right. How we connected. <laughs> I love that. I also, I'm very pleased by your accent too, because I was, I didn't know what to expect, but your accent is also amazing as well. So it's even even better. Yeah, I have an accent. You have an accent. <laughs> I I almost want to hear what mine would sound like because uh, uh, you, you always don't hear, hear it. You know, I, I don't hear, hear anything. <laughs> I go. I just went home last week, um, and home for me is the northeast of England. Mm. 
But my husband's Scottish, so we actually went back to Scotland last week. Cool. And people were like saying to Stuart, my husband, you don't even sound Scottish anymore. Or strangers right. were like saying, where are you from in America? So he was gutted. <laughs> and then my, and my family my family think I sound Canadian or Northern. Wow. I don't know. I think I'm a bit middle. You're like, you've changed. <laughs> I like to say things like, you know what I mean, eh? Yeah. <laughs> like, I have all these Canadianisms that don't suit my accent. And then and then I'll say things like, where's the garbage? Where's the washroom? And my mum's like, it's always been the toilet. It's always right. been the loo and the rubbish. You know, they get on this, I can't remember. Oh, so you've adopted, you've adopted toilet and garbage. Wow. Yeah, you're, you're almost American too. That's kind of... Yeah. <laughs> I lived in Texas for four years. No way. Way, way. <laughs> when, when Trump was in charge. Yeah. That was a friggin' eye-opener, let me tell you. For sure. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can only imagine you're in the heart heart of America right there. America. <laughs> no, I, America. I totally was America. I was definitely, the thing is, I was going to be like, I either do this fully 100%, go big or go home. So I went and we went straight to a dude ranch, bought cowboy <laughs> boots, rode a horse, had a cowboy hat, loved it. Like, wow. I actually love Texas. I yeah. um, was in a pretty democratic neighborhood. and. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but you didn't have to go far before, like, it was, like, full-on redneck. For sure. Like, fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you did, I love that you did the dude ranch, too. So you, you really got, like, indoctrinated into the American culture. <laughs> yeah, I actually miss Texas, truthfully, because yeah. um, we've come back to Canada to live where my one of my kids was born. Mm-hmm. And we'd lived here for 15 years, and I'm in the winter. And, yeah. and, and in Texas, yep. I had, like, the weather was brilliant and i had an outdoor pool not my own but my local yeah. gym i had an outdoor pool and i traded jaws oh, <laughs> it was like so it was perfect there was that was like the trifecta that i needed and mm. i don't have any of that here so <laughs> so the the trifecta to keep you happy trader joe's nice weather and a pool yeah a and i told myself to swim <laughs> uh, when i was 50 years old i taught myself to swim wow and uh it was like what? my Biggest, I know, isn't that weird? Biggest to come. You threw yourself into the pool yourself. <laughs> oh, it did. I, I can tell you the story about it because it's actually yeah. one of those like really weird things. So my husband was a national level swimmer in Scotland and his sister holds hold records. <laughs> cool. and, and so like they've all tried to teach me to swim my life. And, and when I say I can't swim, I mean, like I wasn't going to drown. But I was a breaststroker and I would do like one lap and then be like... Right. And he could, could never understand. I would be like, why am I so shit at swimming when I should be good at this? I just yeah. assume I'm going to be good at stuff. Right, and exactly. You know that way that when you're athletic, you just feel like you're going to lend to things. Yeah. And well, and it was always just exhausting. And then when COVID was first popular, I got long COVID. Oh, <laughs> well, shoot. 2020, yeah. I decided to get sick for four months. It was just the worst. Yeah. And again, that was one of those. I don't get why I don't recover from why I didn't recover from it because mm-hmm. bit healthy blood work was right. fine and all of this stuff but it just was rotten yep I would go to the pool just to like feel relaxed and and calm and then when I was in there one day I thought you know what I'm just gonna see if I can teach myself to swim and I remembered reading the four hour body that you remember that book we all read Tim had mm-hmm. to be Ferris yep it was really quite shit right but, <laughs> but he taught himself to swim in it he wanted to swim a mile and I'm like, well, if he can do it, then I can do it. So right. it was using a method called total immersion, which is essentially 
just how to relax in the water and use techniques that make you be at one with the water type right. thing. And I realized straight away that what I was doing was trying too hard. Mm-hmm. So I broke it down into these sort of segments. And over a period of 10 weeks, I went from one lap to a mile. And so I went swimming with my husband ah. and I went, he went, oh, I'll come swimming with you. And I went, I think it's really been helping me with the long COVID. I actually yeah. got over the COVID, whatever. And I started swimming and he was like, what the fuck? Like, what did this happen? <laughs> I didn't tell everyone. And so, he was super proud. But well, that, I mean, I would be very proud. Like that is, I mean, so, but I think you nailed it though, because so I used to be a lifeguard, but I was really like a, a shit lifeguard. Like I wasn't a, <laughs> I could save you, but you don't want me swimming laps to get to you type of deal. So not a strong <laughs> swimmer, but I could save you. But that's like you under the neck and like go backwards with you. As long as I got my float, we're fine. But the uh, the biggest thing that we would just teach kids all the time is like get relaxed. Like first thing you do when teaching swim lessons is like get comfortable in the water. Like get relaxed in the water. Trying too hard essentially, and so yeah, it became like a therapy for me. Um, I think the breathing really helped with me my recovery, and then I sort of decided to see how far I could go and in Texas yeah. when you swim in the open water it's boiling hot water right. so my husband who is like almost luminous like he's um so white he's so Scottish <laughs> and white, that we were swimming in the lake and I used him as a guide I could oh, wow. it's really weird swimming in open water and then now we're back in Toronto where um in Lake Ontario and it's bloody cold so we're in wet right. suits and we're, and we're swimming laps there and that uh, from April onwards, so so now I'm an official open water swimmer. So, um... <laughs> so I I love I love how we're starting with this too because anybody who's listening to this from the get go, like, oh, man is like a professional swimmer. Like she's <laughs> she's from Texas. How did I go there? No, I Where's know. She... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that I think one of the reasons it made me like it's something I'm so proud of. You, you yeah. have your proud as well is is because I think. As we get older, we think we can't do new mm-hmm. things, hard things. And my right. gig is that we should. We should try. We yeah. should always try and get a little bit uncomfortable yep. for growth, for yep. improving longevity. Yep. And and especially menopausal women, when mm. they literally feel like, they often feel like they've lost confidence or they don't right. quite recognize themselves. And it's a real good way to sort of like regain all of that back. Absolutely. And I, you know what, and could you even go back to your, your swim lessons part? I think, uh, a lot of people or maybe specifically in this, a lot of women might expend a lot of energy in the beginning because they're not sure how to go about the process of menopause or what it might entail. So now we'll full circle it back. But if you want to, if you want to briefly introduce yourself for, which I'm oh fine with, like I'm good with, I'm like, <laughs> I enjoy the good chat, but I think my mummy, like, my mummy used to call me a gobshite, and then literally <laughs> describes me. Well, what do you think it means? Just you talk too much. Talk, talk too much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna start uh, bringing that into my own lingo as well. So, so a couple of gobshites here on this podcast. Why don't Why don't we introduce you, you, and a little bit about who you are, what you do, um, and then we'll, we'll obviously we'll get into what we'll we'll talk about today. Yeah, so uh, I'm a fitness professional like yourself, nutrition coach, and I'm like sort of an industry veteran, really. Um, so about 30 years doing this now. Jeez. It was never like my full-time job, though. I used to be a techie for IBM, and it was always like a passion. Oh, wow. I was that really annoying head that exercised a lot, did martial arts, and, yeah. and I just continued that passion and learning. And But throughout that time, 
sort of it helped when I had children that I could do this as something myself, you know, like as a, as a business. And I worked with, you know, women, men, um, I worked with kids. I also worked with seniors. I have all of the certs like you probably do, you know, right, like how right. you get in them. I worked with pro athletes. I worked with the, in Ooh. Texas, I worked with the Rockets for a while. So that was quite cool. Uh, Whoa. I actually saw, I, <laughs> my, funny, whoa. my funny story about that is, you know, when you're around basketball players, we know they're big, but when you're next to them, yeah, you sort of don't understand perspective. And I did sure. this um, really a small private like recovery workout with the uh, jazz. Is it Utah jazz? Yeah, Utah jazz. Yeah. And there was Rudy Galbert and Grayson Allen. Whoa. Cool. Oh, no, I don't Rudy think massive. Know. Right. So I'm doing this um, sort of yoga type recovery thing. It was a, an athletic program. Yeah. And at the end of it, we took uh, a selfie and I went home to the kids and I went, oh my God, these guys were so nice. I said like, Grayson Allen's like about six, uh, Five eleven, and I think Rudy Galbraith is maybe like six three, six four. And I looked at him up, and he's like seven four. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. and I look like a hobbit. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't understand why I look so small. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. But I like that your that your confidence made you grow, like, or maybe shorn in there. <laughs> illusions of tallness for sure. When I'm five foot five, it's oh, hey, I'm five six, so I'm right there with you. So I get it. <laughs> yeah, and it was really interesting. So you know, I've had a good a good broad career i've been yeah. a master trainer for ultimate sandbag and trx like so i've i've, mm-hmm. I've been happy with my, the way my progress has gone when i yeah. turned 40 i definitely felt like i was starting to inch into the social media world but mm-hmm. really in a way to say hey i'm 40 and you don't need to stop working out in fact you know this right. it's really important to you and i tried to be a good role model and a a, a real role model right right um and then just started to feel really unwell in when I was about 42 mm. um, with symptoms that didn't make any sense to me. And they started to drag me down, feel, I felt so unwell. My quality of life was terrible. Mm. Um, and I then sort of got lost in the healthcare system here in Canada, trying to find out what was wrong with me. And essentially I was losing feeling in one side of my body, like mm. getting visual problems, um, equilibrium, vertigo issues, being sick a lot. Um, and ultimately, a couple of years later, when I went to see a gynecologist who I was just a routine sort of exam, he said, are you all right? I was like, oh, no. I just started crying. And I think two, two years of just feeling like shit and just mm-hmm. faking, faking it because I felt as though I'm now a fitness professional right. who's failing every day. Who I didn't even want to get up in the morning. I didn't want to be with my kids, my husband. I yeah. was literally re- retreating and. It was quite scary, actually. And um, my gynecologist was like, this is perimenopause. You know, mm. you've probably got depression. That's what it sounds like to me. Wow. You're suffering with migraines, with aura, which is like the visual type. Um, and then I had other symptoms. And he like, these, I see these every day and I can help you. And it was the first time that like I'd ever heard the word perimenopause. Yeah. But that's exactly 10 years ago now. Wow. And I just was like, what does that, that even mean? And so I sort of went down the perimenopausal rabbit hole and I never right. wanted to be the person that I don't intend to be this person that's talking about it now but what I did realize is that when I started having the conversation I realized that if in my industry we're not talking about it and the general population don't right. know about it absolutely so there's this massive knowledge gap with women with their families in the workplace in the medical um organizations 
menopause isn't even discussed in medical school. Mm-hmm. And I just was pissed off and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. Yeah. So that's essentially where I am now, just being a gobshite about menopause. <laughs> 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 well, I, I think, and, I, and you're absolutely right, because it, it definitely isn't talked about even close to enough, right? Like even now, like... Um, especially like for, I, I feel like too, and I know this is something you're passionate about talking about too, or recently I saw you make a post about this, how, you know, there's, you know, it's okay for male trainers to be talking about this as well, because, uh, it's important for us to be educated because, you know, predominantly like I was an in-person trainer for eight years. And like, I would say like, I trained probably like 70, 80% women, you know, like majority of the time. So it's important for not only, and, and the majority of trainers and men, yeah. young men. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So no, we've got was... 12 things. Why should they be opposed, right? And and right. most of the people I've spoken to have been respectful and open to learning. Like, yeah. And and I think there's a huge place for us to sort of like collaborate for sure. Yeah. Well, then, so the, so I want to treat this as like my learning lesson today because <laughs> I have, I have like so many questions I want to ask you. And obviously, hopefully... Um, that are helpful to other people, but I sort of want to break down menopause, right? So I want to first sort of define what it is, um, and then we can get down into sort of like symptoms and and management, all that as well. But how how would you define like what what menopause is? I'll just start by saying that you know everything I, I when I talk about menopause, it comes from the menopause societies and the medical consensus. So it's none of this is my opinion. This is just sure. what it is, right? So. Menopause um, is the time when um, there's been 12 months since a, a woman has had her final period. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a retrospective. You always like look back and go, oh, isn't this wonderful? It's been 12 months. And so it's right. essentially a timestamp. Now, the time before that is perimenopause, which is what my doctor talked to me about. Mm-hmm. We know that can start in our late 30s and go anywhere until our 50s for an average of 8 to 10 years. And during this period of time, our estrogen starts to decline in a almost a roller coaster type manner so it's not linear whereas progesterone also falls in more of a slide type manner and it's these fluctuations in these hormones that cause symptoms that simply don't make sense and the reason is is because estrogen is impactful on almost every system in our body over 200 systems in our body it impacts the brain as much as it impacts the ovaries and so the symptoms I had, which were migraines and depression and some brain fog, didn't make any sense to me, but they do now because we know our brain adapts to the reduction in estrogen that our body is going through. So there's a potentially 34 plus symptoms that women might experience. Um, and we know statistically that about 75 to 85% of women will have one to seven symptoms throughout those eight to 10 years. Yeah. Um, some women will be fine, but it's a smaller majority and 25% will have severe enough symptoms that it impacts their quality of life. And it impacts us outside of our a woman's health. It impacts yeah. our relationships, our jobs. So it's more than a woman's health issue. Mm-hmm. And so that to me is where we need to focus our attention because we know that estrogen is so impactful. Mm-hmm. Then when you get to the other side of menopause, we potentially have 33.3 years in a postmenopausal state, or you could say menopausal, it's an interchangeable term, where we now have these reduced levels of 
um, reproductive hormones in our bodies mm. now in this like new playing field. Yeah. Um, and so we're then, because estrogen is so protective for our heart, our brain, our our lungs, our mm-hmm. bones and our muscles to name a few, right. we then need to take absolute priority on taking care of our health to prevent these diseases that ultimately are the ones that, you know, causes the most problems. And so mm-hmm. um, it's just to me like it, perimenopause is as important as talking about postmenopause because right. they're two sort of completely separate playing fields, right? Mm-hmm. And it all starts with education. It's sort of why I wrote the book. I was like, I just right. think that you we should be able to have your best mate's guide to like what to expect. <laughs> right. You know? and, um, and and understand how impactful mm. taking care of your health is with or without hormone therapy, right? Absolutely. And so, and I like I like how you define that too, because there is there is the struggles of going into perimenopause, and there's also the struggles that can come with post uh, menopause as well. And I like how, and even for you, like you you started when you were forty two forty two years old, and you were sort of spent a couple of years in limbo, not understanding what was going on with your body and. Um, not just from a physical toll that that takes, but I can imagine only like mentally, like you said, it, the the toll that took on you as well. And and, and I had days where I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want right. to live. I didn't want to keep living. It was the suicidal ideation that goes with like a chronic depression right. because you don't have answers. And I was going to doctors, and they were saying to me. Yeah, you don't look well because I don't right. wear sickness well. You right. don't look well, but we don't know what's wrong with you. And I just thought, is this me? Is this like how now I'm going to live the rest of my life? Right. Why can't anyone help me? Right. And it was a horrible place to be. And it's why I'm so passionate about helping women mm-hmm. because I don't want anyone to feel like this. And they are. Right. Women still are. They're getting dismissed by their doctors. And it's just simply unfair. And so, yeah, like um, it. Like I had that time in limbo and 42 is not early for perimenopause to right. start. I was fully menopausal at 48. I've had four, I'm 52 now, so I've had four years in postmenopause. And I'm also really pleased to say that most women, when they're at my stage, that three to five years mm. into postmenopause, things start to get back to normal. Right. Thankfully. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a light. There's a light. It's not a cave. It's a tunnel. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. So, so I guess so. In terms of so, we we talked about how, you know, we have this this period where you're you're perimenopause and the period where you're postmenopause. How would you say after seeing this doctor, what were, what were some of the the best ways you found to to manage your symptoms during perimenopause and then also currently. Yeah, and so it's really, it's a really great question. I'll try and keep it, it short. It's really hard for me. <laughs> well, you're good. Like you said, like this is learning. I love this. This is learning lessons. It was perfect. <laughs> so you know, according to the menopause societies and the medical organizations, common therapy is the gold standard for helping treatments like vasomotor symptoms. Vasomotor symptoms means things that impact our thermoregulatory system: hot flashes, cold flashes, night sweats, which can also impact insomnia. Mm-hmm. Genital urinary symptoms of menopause, which is literally anything in the pelvic floor region, the vulva, vagina, every that that whole area, because mm-hmm. estrogen receptors are there, it can really impact women. And so most women need treatment to in a preventative way there, which mm-hmm. can be localized with estrogen cream, like just to stay in that area, or it can be systemic, like a, a menopause hormone therapy. Mm-hmm. And then also if you're someone who has um 
osteopenia or osteoporosis, it's an indication for that too. But not, um, and so most women that try um, hormone therapy that can find relief from symptoms somewhat. They start sleeping better. They start making better choices with their food and their exercise and stress right. management, et cetera. Um, but there are a lot of people out there that are either contraindicated, like a potential breast cancer survivors or have a hormone sensitivity. That was me. I tried for a long time to take hormone therapy with actual worse impacts from taking it. Um, and so like I was a little bit lost for a while. I was like, yeah. well, I can't, I, I failed at perimenopause and I'm failing yeah. at taking hormone therapy. Right. I ultimately um, ended up taking migraine medication specifically for my migraines, which was mm. wonderful. Mm. And then antidepressants for a time to help with my depression. But mm. what, whatever women decide to do um, with or without the medication, it's equally important to look at the lifestyle impacts of that. And so it's really hard when you've got depression and chronic fatigue and you right. know, whatever other symptoms to think I've got to get up and work out today and I've got to right. eat well. So I'm just really all about like, how can you find a small win in your day? Mm. So when I was like depressed to the point where I didn't want to get off the sofa, like it just was really difficult. I always made sure that I went outside for a walk, like a 10 minute walk and just maybe got a coffee or something just so that I just felt like at least I'd achieved something that day. Yeah. Um, it wasn't easy though. And, and, and when we know that estrogen impacts so many systems in our body, like it's just really hard to sort of fight that, but it ebbs and flows and it's a transition. And I'm at the stage now where, you know, I'm just all lifestyle and I, and there's no judgment for me, whatever women decide, some women choose sure. down hormone therapy for a long time. And that's an appropriate choice for many women. But for me, cause I couldn't, like, I just had to make sure that I prioritized my mental well-being. I managed my stresses. I got rid of the toxic stuff that really made my stresses worse. And, right. um, it was a lot of work and. But I have to say it was a lot of work during the problematic time, but now I've sort of reached this place where I'm just like in that, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it just is, it feels like, I think I posted something on Twitter yesterday that said like perimenopause feels like the great unsettling and then mm -hmm. postmenopause is just like the most settled you ever feel and it right. just, you just don't have time for all of the nonsense and the shit that you put up with in the right. past. That's how I feel. And it's right. a good place to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like you're now you're, I like you, you <laughs> I like how you're almost like you're just able to take that breath and, and sort of, you know, find that peace for, for the first time in a long time. You know, when you watch these TV shows and there's like, I'm thinking of Yellowstone and there's like these, um, native American or indigenous women mm -hmm. and they're sat in like the, in their tents with a pipe and everyone reveals right. them. I'm like, that's what we should be doing. <laughs> like these, these sage old women, our right, oldest, right. oldest relative, of course, you know. Sure. The wise, the wise. Wow. That's a, yeah, I think so. I love it. And, and I think that is interesting too, because I, I, that is one of the questions I was going to ask you is sort of um, the risks and benefits of, of hormone therapy. And I, and I, I, that's part of why I loved your explanations because you you basically said whatever works for you is going to work for you. It's like treat it as an individual basis. Um, what would what would you say? Because that is that is an avenue and is a route. And then obviously there's a lot of lifestyle things we can include. But what would you say? Sort of like are the the risks and benefits of of hormone therapy for treating perimenopause or, or menopause? 
Well, you know, it's really interesting because the the, the current medical science is that the risks completely outweigh and the, the benefits rule. Can't all air in front of a microphone. The current medical stance is that. Oh, it sounded like I was so confident as well. The benefits completely outweigh the risks, which are usually very, very small. The amount of um, hormones that you get um, when you take menopause hormone therapy is very, very low. And it's not a replacement for the hormones to the same physiological level that you had when you were 20. It's just a very low level that sort right. of ebbs out those um, incon- you know, those fluctuations. It just right. brings some sort of equilibrium. Um, and so the things that women need to be made aware of, though, are if you still have a uterus or a womb, depending on where you, you are, and you take estrogen, you must take a progesterone orally or with a Manira coil to protect your uterus from overgrowth and potential cancer risk, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. they work together. If you've had a hysterectomy that's removed your uterus, then you don't need to take it. Right. Um, they work hand in hand. Um, taking localized estrogen is even considered safe for people who have breast cancer. And, and like I say, it just stays in the vaginal and vulva tissues and it can right. be a complete game changer. And because this is something that women need to be proactive about and it's never mm-hmm. going to get better. Right. So it's almost like they should be just given it at the age of 45. There's some lube, there's some estrogen cream. Right. Slather it all on and you'll be grand, right? right. So so there's that. Um, and then the only other thing I would say with regard to the risk is that all of the hormones that you should take should be regulated. They should be mm-hmm. wherever you are, FDA approved, Canada Health approved, British, um, British Menopause Society approved, that and and the reason is is because they've gone through all the testing for efficacy, safety, bioavailability. You know exactly what this is going to do to your body. Right. What happened is there was a report that came out in 2002 called the Women's Health Initiative that made the statement that homotherapy caused breast cancer. It's since been um, sort of like withdrawn because it was extrapolated incorrectly. Um, and so... Um, but what's happened is the stigma like remained there that women couldn't take hormone therapy. And so all of these private mm-hmm. clinics opened up and started issuing unregulated hormones. And what they are is they take these FDA approved hormones, mix them with some mouse shit and um, sawdust, put it in a container that doesn't have a black box warning with it. And women are using these and paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars right. and then hundreds of dollars for testing. And you don't know the levels of hormones you're taking. They might be ultra, like supernatural um, doses. And it's not safe. It's not considered safe. Mm -hmm. And so all I would say is that when you go to your doctor, make sure you get regulated hormones that are considered bioidentical, meaning very similar to the hormones that your body produces. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's a great, great point. So making sure you're not going to a quack who doesn't well, know how much. Yeah. Or oh, they <laughs> do know. They don't pay. They just make a lot of money from it. That's right. the thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And and so that I think that's important. So so those those are the very minor risks that can come with it. Obviously the 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 minority is gonna come from an FDA or all these pre approved um doses. Um and then in terms of because your big thing for you was finding little wins each day to sort of like stack up, right? So what, so you mentioned like walking to the coffee shop and and all that, what, once you did feel like you kind of found your footing a little bit, what are, what are some other habits or, um, like you said, more lifestyle treatments that you were working towards, um, that helped you? 
Yeah, I think we come from the same sort of philosophy of, uh, you know, the small habits, last, long lasting change. I have a son who actually is on the autism spectrum. He's like, I, I, I hate that bullshit. Just tell me the quickest, hardest <laughs> way to do something. Right, <laughs> some right. people are very, some people For are sure. very binary, binary, but I live in the world where um, I lived and felt the impact of doing these small things over and over again, even right. when they felt like they were working. Right. And that's often the case, right? We don't see quick change when we when we approach things this way. Yeah. And so I had some sort of non-negotiables that I, I did and I, I still do. And the non-negotiables are I sort of shifted from the we to me um, philosophy, mm-hmm. which actually happens quite um, naturally as women go through menopause where I stopped focusing all my attention on everybody else and started just looking inward and going, what's it going to take for me to just have a productive day, to feel better about myself, to feel, you know, okay. And, and right. because then everyone else benefits around me. And and it might be something like going for the walk or it might be just having a, some stillness. It's really hard for me to be still. Yeah. Like, so it's such a movie person. I knit. I, I've always knit, I make things. And so I would sit and knit for an hour just so right. I make a pair of socks or something, right? Just so right. that I had like, or bake or cook. I just find quiet time stillness where no phones, nothing. Um, mm. So that was good. I turned all the notifications up on my phone, every single yeah. one. Yeah. Apart from for my family's WhatsApp group. And I choose to look at Instagram. I choose to look at Facebook. I don't spend tons of time on that, even though right. it's like I do. Right. I then sorted out my sleep. So my sleep was the the thing that was really struggling. I was struggling with, and a lot of women do. And so I just really started to work on sleep hygiene. And mm-hmm. I know people try that, Ryan, and then they'll do it for two weeks and go, well, I've been going to bed 30 minutes earlier and having a hot bath and a, right. and a sleepy time teen. It doesn't work. And I'm like, yeah, because you've got to do it for like six months. Right. You've got to keep doing it. It doesn't right. just happen. Right. And uh, that... I still go to bed half an hour before I need to. I read my book. It's quiet. And, yeah. and I like have this and, and, and I'm like, I don't care if it pisses anyone else off that I'm leaving a party early. I don't care. Right. Like, yeah. I have things like Irish exit, work. baby. Yeah. An Irish <laughs> exit. Is that what it's called? That's the, that's the, the Irish exit is when you leave a party whether you, and you don't tell anybody you're leaving. Yeah. Yours out. <laughs> the Irish don't leave though. The Irish never get the party. <laughs> Like, can I just tell you, you've got 18 brothers and sisters and there's a party down the street, so you all go and they're literally there till the very end. Right. That doesn't make a lot of sense. (laughs) And then, then, you know, I'm looking for wins in my workout. So when I, um, now my workouts are back to normal and I've always been pretty good with my food, but those two things went to pop during um, perimenopause. And so I have a post on my Instagram um, feed that I've pinned because it was always popular and it was this structured flexibility where I determined that um, I was going to give myself a score every day and I'd wake up and go, am I a one out of 10, a two out of 10, five, six, and just, it was based on energy levels, how I felt, mm-hmm. how I slept, all of those things. And on those days where I was like a one to two, and if I was like really fatigued, I knew I couldn't do the workout I wanted to do. It was just going to be right. like um, counterintuitive and I would pay the price the next day by being ut- utterly exhausted on the sofa for another couple of days. And I didn't like that feeling. Mm-hmm. And so I just was like, that's the day I'm going to just go for my walk. And then right. maybe when I was feeling like a four to five, I'd be going, right, I can't do the workout I want to do. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll work on some biomechanics or some mobility, or maybe mm-hmm. I'll just, you know, like go for a really long walk or hike or something. And so I just looked for these small wins every day. 
And then sometimes like, so when I, and I also changed the way I did my workout. So you and I probably write our workouts for clients in this progressive overload right. with our supersets, with our big compound lift spurs, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, cause that's the best way to program. But I realized that when I was doing my workouts that sometimes I'd do the first superset and I'd, I'd have to stop and right. I felt frustrated. So I started doing just metabolic workouts, but I would mm -hmm. do say five exercises that I was going to include in my workout anyway, in a circuit based fashion mm -hmm. with number of reps. And I would go on those days where I am like feeling five to six energy, mm -hmm. I'm going to do one or two rounds only. Yeah. And then it was still a win, right? That's so right. quite. So I started programming that way and I was still making progress and still mm -hmm. getting strong. And usually when I was doing them after a few, a few exercises, a few reps, I'd be going, oh, I could do three, I could right. do four, you right. know? And then, right. and then honestly on those days where I was at eight, nine, ten, I'd copy the fucking DM out of my <laughs> You know, right. and so I just, and I, and I put this in an Instagram post once and people were like, are you allowed to do that? I'm like, do whatever the fuck you want. Right, right. Then, but, if, but if you don't have the background and stuff, maybe right. you feel like you're cheating and stuff. And I'm like, no, right. what you're doing is you're looking for a win every day. And this yeah. is the thing that's going to propel you forward, mm. keep you coming back for more. And, yep. and that's what I do. And that's what uh, I really advise women through that time where it's really troublesome and you literally don't know what you're going to wake up to. Right. Well, I, I think the, the biggest thing that I love about your process is is the mental aspect is so you the first thing you did right in order before you got to like okay now i can do this now I, like before you came up with solutions was you created the awareness right around your how you felt physically and how, how you felt mentally right and also we include emotionally um and that's how you sort of based off what you were going to do that day yeah. so i think that's that's the huge component for anybody listening is is that your first step was i need to create more self-awareness around how I'm feeling mentally, physically, emotionally. And then once I have created this awareness, now I can create some sort of strategy on the days that I feel like you said a one or two, a five or six, or like carpe in the fucking DM nine or tens, right? Yeah. And the, and the same can be applied to like the food I was eating as well, mm. right? Because there was a lot of, I, I really have a good um, relationship with food. I have to be honest, right. I, I haven't struggled with emotional eating, but I did put weight on. Um, in perimenopause mm -hmm. and, and I was right in the book and I was maybe 10 pounds heavy, which isn't a significant amount, but I'm not very big. And right. uh, I was like, I don't like the way I feel. And this is menopause has made me put all this weight on. And when I dug into the research, I realized that there isn't any research to support that. Right. Mm -hmm. But what energy balance still matters, calories in, calories out. People don't right. like to accept that. But when you understand nutrition science, you can't right. fucking argue with it. Right? Right, right. But there's more barriers and hurdles to making that happen. And I had to have a really honest conversation with myself where I was like, how have I put 10 pound on when I've done nothing different? Because right. that's what we all say. Right. And then sure. I was like, hang on, let's <laughs> have a look. So yeah. I did a two or three week track i didn't change anything and i tracked my movement and i tracked my intake mm. didn't weigh anything i just wrote down what i ate and i looked and i was like yeah you've been a, an arsehole right? You, <laughs> right. you're lying to yourself and, right. and and then i sort of then sort of did that that was my awareness thing and mm. then i was like okay so i want to lose this 10 pound it took a long time to get there mm. i'm prepared for this to take six months to come off maybe right. eight months it's fine and I just shifted my awareness so that every time I went to eat, I'd go, okay, just do a once over on your food, just glance. I never right. pulled any foods out of my 
diet, but I was overeating and I wasn't prioritizing, say, my vegetables and my mm-hmm. protein. And I just had a shift. Right. It wasn't anything dramatic and it obviously paid off, right? But it was the same thing. Create awareness, have a strategy, remove guilt. Right. Fill with the guilt, yeah, right? Absolutely. Because we all fail mm-hmm. at stuff, right? We all, it never always works out, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I think, and I think the important part for that too is um, sort of like you said, is is you came into it with a, a good relationship with food, um, which a lot of women, you know, can struggle with as well. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's not only all these symptoms you're feeling from menopause that's going into how you're feeling from a day to day, but then there's other things that you probably have put off for a majority of your life that are now creeping in because they're playing into a role of how you eat and, you know, the emotional impact that comes with perimenopause or menopause. And now you're, you're finding out you're emotionally eating all that. Um, so I think this, that is very enlightening. Um, for a lot of women, because like you said, there has to be a point where you check yourself and say, okay, am I really moving as much as I think I am? Am I really, you know, on point with what I think I'm eating? Um, But then like you also mentioned, you have to, you can't be an asshole to yourself in that way too, because you're going through a lot of shit at that very moment. Exactly. Yeah. And so you better sort of have a compassionate conversation, but a very honest one. Right. Sure. Absolutely. And I think that that leads me to my next question, too, is because obviously I think the biggest thing you hear, right, when it when it comes to menopause, you know, and and that's why I like how we're talking about all fronts of it. Um, But you always hear like, I can't lose weight when I'm going through menopause or anything like that. So my my question for you is, you know, can you talk a little bit on on menopause and weight loss and sort of maybe any stigma? I'm still here. (laughs) I bumped it. Hold on. Can you hear me? I can see you again now. Do you want to ask that question again then? (laughs) I bumped my wire. I got too excited about my wire. But before you ask the question again, um, yes, go ahead. I have a two o'clock five. Okay. Just so so we've got 20 minutes, just because I have another. Oh, yeah, we're good. We'll be golden. Okay. Yes. Go and then do that again. We're live, baby. We're live. The, uh, so for my question for you is, can you talk a little bit on the stigmas of weight loss and menopause and then maybe sort of your your best advice or your best approach for women who are trying to actively lose weight while going through perimenopause or menopause? It's really interesting because I actually try not to talk too much about weight loss because it's such for an sure. emotive topic. And, yeah. um, you know, but I do have a whole chapter in my book called Why My So Bloody Fat? And it sort of explains mm-hmm. some of the, the hurdles and barriers that face us in perimenopause. Things like our fat redistribution, like we become more of an apple than a pear, mm-hmm. that our other hormones are impacted by losing our reproductive hormones, our ghrelin and leptin, our hunger hormones. Right. So women are always hungry and never satisfied. Mm. So like knowing those type of things that we know we need to work on behavioral change around eating, like being more mindful with our eating. And then things like um, being constantly stressed, our relationship with our estrogen and cortisol and even insulin, those things are all impacted. And so knowing that then is like, well, you know that if you're high stress, chances are you're not going to be sleeping so well. Chances are you're going to wake up with the munchies and cravings. And we know that there's like a cycle that happens. Right. And that we also know that we can become um, less insulin sensitive. Mm-hmm. 
and saw that just looking at the food we eat really matters. Like we need to sort of really prioritize like eating more whole foods and high fiber foods and nothing. Any of this is extreme, but like the, right. the ways we've been going around things like for the previous 40 years of our life are maybe not serving us as well. So there's some nuances that we need to talk about with how our body changes on a physiological level, but they're not that massive. Right. And so to me, it's like saying to women, what's the barrier that's stopping you losing weight? If that's something you want to do, is it because you're constantly going on your, your diets? Like are right. you going down these extreme routes? If you are, you're just not serving your body well, mm -hmm. and it's going to come back at you in a catastrophic way. Mm -hmm. Are you looking at just like being really honest with your food and just saying, you know, I, I tend to overeat on an evening. Let's look at right. some behavioral change we can we can look at there. Alcohol is another thing. No one counts right. the alcohol, do they? <laughs> oh, it's free. Right. It's not. Right. <laughs> and and um and then in general, I actually try and take the focus away from the weight loss and say, listen, we know your body's going through a transition, it's changing. Maybe you are meant to put some weight on. Is that such a bad thing? Right. Too much weight's not great for our overall health. So let's try and find ways to manage that so it's not too extreme. Right. Um, are you is it are you stopping yourself from losing weight because you literally are so overwhelmed with your symptoms and you're not sleeping? Why don't you look at those things first? Why don't you try and fix the underlying stuff? And then I know from myself personally that when all of those dominoes fell, then I could start looking at my food. I couldn't look at my food at the point when I was so depressed. I right. didn't want to be in the same room as my kids. I wanted to throw spaghetti at the wall. The last thing I was right. thinking is, oh, where's my protein? Where's my fiber? <laughs> right? Let's yep. be real about this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, that's why I like sort of how the, our conversation went because that's why I want to bring up weight loss last, um, because I think it's important when you're when you're talking about perimenopause, menopause, that you outline sort of what the hell is it, how the hell does it affect my body mentally, physically, emotionally, and what are some ways to find, like you said, the wins, the daily wins that can help you stack up and um, hopefully lead you toward healthier habits, and then sort of like your process where you're just like, okay, now I got all this shit down, or pretty good. And now I can begin to focus on uh, weight loss because I've had a good um, period in establishing healthy habits mentally, physically. So now I can more focus on the weight loss aspect. Yeah. And I think, you know, like I come from a generation, Ryan, where we, it's, this is ingrained in us that we're not allowed to get old and we're not right. allowed to get fat. We saw these magazines as we were in the supermarkets next to the chocolate mm -hmm. bars and stuff, right? That yep. if you have cellulite, you've failed. Like and 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 if you if you're not doing the grapefruit diet or paleo right. or Atkins whatever it was like then then you're a failure and and it's it's there's a lot of unpacking for women in our generation to do it's so problematic I feel like it's going to be more problematic for the next generation because of social media it yeah. drives me crazy for our teenagers but you know I we're unpacking a lot and so for me to sort of say I would love you to have a really great relationship with food I would love you to know that. You don't need to be starving, hungry to lose right. weight. You can actually eat a decent amount of food. Right. It's okay to be a bit hungry. Like nobody right. like is going to die if you wait 30 minutes. You just right. check in and go, is this hunger? Is this a habit? Is this right. boredom? But like eating slowly, enjoying your food, like really appreciating mm -hmm. like um, how this is like serving you. The food is serving you from a cultural perspective, from a right. celebratory perspective. I think we've just lost the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. And so... 
because I'm not that person that's like, you should be having 12,000 calories and right. 1,200 calories a day, sorry. And, and then yeah. all the food you're eating is in, full of inflammation. I'm just like, oh, just fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Christ, we crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fair. It's no, not it's fair not. on women. No. I agree. And, and, I, and, and that, that shit does drive me crazy too because you hear all these you hear all these just like you said just it's just very it's not real life it's like you like from this person it's like this is bad for you this is bad for you this is bad for you oh and by the way if you're if you're not eating 1200 calories or less you're never gonna lose weight or anything like that it's just like when did we lose our sense of like like just being a fucking person and just being like i fucking like ice cream or this is fine in moderation you know Exactly, exactly. And so like mod- even moderation and moderation as well. Like, but then you've yeah. got to find what works for you for, for sure. sure. Just because Ch- Sharon down the street's doing well on keto, right. you may not. Chances are you won't do it yep. because you need carbohydrates for your know, right. energy cells. But yeah, so I feel like um it might it might sound a bit boring being me because I'm always the one that's like, Yeah, you don't need to do that and I'm super right. skeptical, but I think that, you know, I get why women get dragged in. I get why they take yeah. these supplements thinking they're going to lose weight, et cetera, when it just doesn't need to be that way. And I, and I, all I would love is for women to have a really healthy relationship with food, with their body, that they don't hate what they see when they look in the mirror. They appreciate the value of aging. Like, I don't give a fuck if people don't like my wrinkles or whatever it's not nothing to do with them and yet we've like we're fighting like as a fighting this ingrained message that we've always had you know right absolutely oh by the way i didn't eat cottage cheese when i lost my temper (laughs) you know it would have been so much easier (laughs) well you know what's ironic is i think through this process of eating cottage cheese i think i found out i'm lactose intolerant (laughs) oh my god you probably like so this is breaking news for you (laughs) so like i've been i realized this right so i've been i i started this series in early february right when i just moved to san diego and I've had like over time, I've had like this stomach pain a little bit. I'm just like, oh, I'm maybe eat more fiber, go for more walks. Yeah. Maybe I'm stressed. I just moved. And then yesterday I'm playing around with this whole fat cottage cheese. And then like 20 minutes later, I'm just like, oh, man, I think. Working I- through the eye of a needle, <laughs> literally. Oh, I'm oh, like stinking out the house. I'm just like, I think this is a problem. <laughs> So oh I'm God. I'm very much looking forward to like my sister and I finishing our recipe book so I could just take a take a break from cottage cheese. <laughs> can you get lactose free cottage cheese? You can. Good culture makes uh, it. Um, I I can't get that brand. It. I look I look for that brand and then when I started talking about the gag fa- factor of cottage yeah. cheese, people were like overwhelming my DMs <laughs> and saying the European cottage cheese is like solid yeah, and it's so beautiful weird. and I'm, right. <laughs> I can't, I can't find it. I'm just I'm just having the lumpy sicky type yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. But I'm gonna I want a copy of your book when it comes yeah. out for sure. And the cute Absolutely. thing about this whole connection is that. I reposted your like how not to make it taste like shit or make it great right. again, and and your sister yeah. DMs me and goes, "Oh hi Amanda, did you know I'm a chef?" And and he's my brother, and yeah, I'm like, yeah, "Am yeah. I doing a cookbook?" And I was like, that, was, that was so cute. She she's cute, but literally her and I are on the phone, like, "Holy shit!" I go, "Man, man, a thief just like reposted my video," and she goes what she goes i follow her blah 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 she's like because i just sent her a message i go okay i go let's let's 
love that. I love that 360, you know, anywhere we all connect. Yes, I'm the Kevin Bacon of the menopause world, for sure. <laughs> and I love Kevin Bacon. Oh, I, I know you got to go in a minute. I have one yeah. more question for you. So yeah. I didn't even tell you the name of this podcast. It's called These Little Moments Podcast. <laughs> I'm the best. When the worst. When the worst. I need to go for a drink for you one. Well, you know what? I'll get, uh, quick, quick interlude. I actually stopped drinking this year, but yeah. I, I, I look at us. you together. When, well, yeah, I love song you got out. <laughs> so, so my my question for you, because because the reason I I named it these little moments podcast because I went through like my own mental health journey too. Um, you know, went through anxiety, depression, all that. And um, really through all like the therapy and, and, and talking things out and coming out on the other end of it, realized like, you know, life is really made up of really beautiful moments or what we think at the time are really dark, but really help shape to where we get to at some point. So tough question for you because it, it has nothing maybe to do with anything we talked about. But is there a little moment in your life that you can sort of look back on um, and and realize now that it really helps serve you to be the person you are today. I don't know. That's a. I can actually talk about an incident that happened with my husband dying. This is teeny, teeny, tiny. Mm-hmm. But when I I didn't know I had depression and mental health was something I never struggled with. I'd always, you know, and I'd have I've had a shit life. That's <laughs> right. It's been shitty. I always felt like I coped with it or did a very British thing and put it in a box and packed it away and never thought about it again. Like we do, so suppressed. But I remember once sat watching the TV with my husband and had a gin and tonic, just one, and maybe felt like a bit more relaxed. And my husband said something and then I just launched at him and I was like, and I fucking hate when you do this and I fucking hate it when you do this and I hate this and I hate this and I hate this. And I maybe spent about half an hour just laying into him. And he was broken. It was horrible. I mean, I was horrible. I did go through a really horrible phase. Went to bed and then I couldn't sleep. And the next morning I woke up and I was like, you know what? All of the things that I said to him, every single thing that I said, like, you you don't care what people think. You know, you don't try and make an effort with people. They actually are the things I really admire about him because he doesn't suffer fools and he really does make good choices with friends because he doesn't want to invest time with people that are just going to be fly by night. Like, I love all of those things about him. And so I had to then go back and have the hard conversation and say, I just want to take it all back because I actually admire you so much and I really regret saying that. Mm. Um, and and I think that this is more to do with me. I think I'm struggling. Mm. And it was just the best conversation I had because he was like, I've been wanting to help you for mm. two years and I haven't known how to. I don't know how to talk to you. And when you said to me about, should men talk about menopause? Fucking yes. Because yeah, like yeah. this guy is like many other husbands. They want to be there in this supportive role and they don't know how to. So yeah. that to me was a big pivotal moment. Yeah, I love that. I got a little teary. I did a little bit. I'm fucking alone. I got the old wikis, Joe. I appreciate you sharing that because I think it just helps convey like how vulnerable process it is, how vulnerable we we are as humans yeah. and um just like the like again the small little thing that might 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 be small to you but has played such a role in in your life as well so i appreciate you thank you thank you for being on um and uh this was this is actually fucking great because you're actually awesome so <laughs> i appreciate you very so much are you? So are you? i thought you were just cut cheese man but you're so much more <laughs> absolutely well we're gonna cut out the god cheese at some point soon so. <laughs>
but i appreciate you where can can people find you um just quick plug for for yourself i just send them to my website amandathebe.com because that leads you to all things amanda you know my social media podcast etc thank you for that all right you're very welcome um and then we'll just end it so you can just go after this okay we don't have to stick around but uh, i love you appreciate you and uh thank you again i'll I'll see you on the uh all social on the other side yes okay bye thank you so much bye thank you Thank you so much for listening to that episode of These Alone Ones Podcast. Big shout out to Amanda for hopping on the episode. Make sure you follow her. All of her places to find her will be in the show notes below. Again, thank you, Amanda. I appreciate it. I had a great, great talk. Um, if you, my friend, enjoyed this episode, please, please, please leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Just helps this podcast get found and helps other people get helped so you're helping someone if you leave a review and i super appreciate it and i love reading your reviews so thank you very much and if you would like to work together one-on-one health and wellness coaching whether your goal is weight loss whether your goal is creating a better relationship with food whether your goal is to get strong as fuck or you just want to look naked you can apply for coaching at bodybrian.com slash coaching i love you appreciate you and i'll see you in the next episode peace out guys